Welcome to the Conkey Ride Home for Thursday, January 6th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a look at predictions for today from a 1922 article in the New York Herald. Plus, move over self-driving cars, introducing fish-operated vehicles. And car commercials in France will soon require advertisers to tell people not to drive. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Retrofuturism is one of my favorite trends, especially mid-20th century speculations on what the future will be like, or new technologies and interior design choices that were made to be evocative of the future as they imagined it. You know, basically all of the Jetsons. But it's also fascinating to go back even further and see what people even more removed from our present time thought might have happened by now. And often these predictions are just as off-base as some of the retrofuturist-style fly cars and domestic robots of the Jetsons. But a 1922 piece in the New York Herald that was recently re-upped on Y Combinator's hacker news boards proves that sometimes predictions about the future can be surprisingly measured, pragmatic, and therefore quite prescient. Written by columnist W.L. George on May 7, 1922, and preserved by the U.S. Library of Congress, the piece, What the World Will Be Like in a Hundred Years, does have a few ideas that are a little off-base, but often combined with ones that are really on point. He predicts wireless telephones and the erasure of power lines, so yes and no. He says coal and oil reserves will be seriously depleted, and we will probably get energy from the tides the sun, and radium. Again, yes and no. He predicts commercial flying will be entirely commonplace, and that America and Europe may be separated by only about eight hours. Now, that is a particularly impressive calculation in my book, considering I could get from my house in New York City to London in just under six hours right now. He's definitely got some weird ideas about domestic servants that definitely show his class at the time, and also seems to think that most home furnishings will become disposable. But he was at least right that with less coal power, homes and buildings will be much cleaner. And George also has the very common retrofuturist prediction that meals will be taken in some sort of pill form, although he's not wrong in saying that synthetic foods would be more common, and that indulgences like a hot meal and some pie would still be eaten in full, just supplemented with a pill for lunch. And, you know, if you replace pill with a protein bar or shake, he's actually spot on. One of his more off-base predictions is a glass-roofed-in city that, quote, completely does away with weather, end quote. He's also got some ideas about people living predominantly in giant community buildings, that family ties would be weaker, and that kids would be completely taken over by the state. And though it sounds preposterous at first, it's worth remembering that 1922 was a time when child labor laws were still scarce, and a lot of our modern norms like compulsory K-12 education and school lunches would seem a bit odd to George. I did find his commentary on war to be interesting. He thinks there will still be wars, of course, but perhaps they will be less frequent than in his times. Quote, I suspect that those wars to come will be made horrible beyond my conception by new poison gases, inextinguishable flames, and lightproof smoke clouds. In those wars, the airplane bomb will seem as out of date as is today the hatchet. 
War may ultimately disappear, but this lies beyond the limits of this article and even beyond those of my mind. End quote. As one commenter from Hacker News pointed out, what makes George so successful in many of his theories is the recognition that technology will change, but human nature will remain the same. As George says himself, quote, The world at that time would be remarkable to one of our ghosts, not so much because it was so different as because it was so similar. End quote. George also had the sense that the scale of scientific innovation from his time to now in 2022 would not be nearly so impressive as from 1822 to 1922, saying, quote, President Jefferson knew nothing of railroads, telegraphs, telephones, automobiles, aeroplanes, gramophones, movies, radium. He did not even know hot and cold bathrooms, end quote. And I think that may be a true point. I mean, it is mind-blowing to think that many people live to see us go from the Wright Brothers' first flight to men walking on the moon, to say nothing of the atomic bomb and later innovations like the web and smartphones. But even all of that, it felt like there was precedent for by the early 20th century, whereas the rapid industrialization of the world throughout the 19th century more so set the stage for all of those precursors to our modern tech. I mean, I don't know. The argument could be made either way, really, and the reactions to the the article on that point are certainly mixed. And it is true that the more specific George tries to get, the more he misses the mark. He lowballs the 2022 US population by about 100 million, for example. Still, other commenters were particularly impressed by George's awareness of and sensitivity to women's issues, with one commenter even speculating the columnist was a woman, with the initials WL concealing her gender. That's not true. W.L. stood for Walter Lionel, Walter Lionel George, but Mr. George was hired by the Herald to write short daily essays on women's issues, being described as, quote, long a feminist sympathetic with the aspirations of women, but withal one of their most earnest critics, end quote. And here are some of George's predictions for women in 2022, quote, It is practically certain that in 2022, nearly all women will have discarded the idea that they are primarily makers of men. Most fit women will then be following an individual career. 2022 will probably see a large number of women in Congress, a great many on the judicial bench, many in civil service posts, and perhaps some in the president's cabinet. But it is unlikely that women will have achieved equality with men men. Cautious feminists such as myself realize that things go slowly and that a brief hundred years will not wipe out the effects on women of 30,000 years of slavery, end quote. Interesting choice of words at the end there. Another commenter from Hacker News pointed out how of what George got right, a lot of it was already in place by the 1960s, saying, quote, when we think about the distant future, we simply think about tomorrow, end quote. And I think George's predictions about movies are a great example of his thinking merely of tomorrow and not so much the long term. In 1922, Hollywood was just a few years away from transitioning from silent films to talkies and only a few more years away from feature-length technicolor movies. Yet George's predictions don't go far beyond predicting that movies will be in their natural color and that actresses will have to know how to talk. And funnily, he predicts that this will precipitate the end of stage performances. And honestly, looking at it from his perspective, I'm actually more impressed that it didn't. 
But for all of his swings and misses, I do like how George thinks about the future generally. He concluded, quote, It is not my business to congratulate the future, as it is impossible to say a thing is good or bad. All one can say is that it exists. The world takes care of itself. It has been doing so for hundreds of centuries and is still spinning. The world will take care of itself in 2022. That is its chief occupation. The future will be difficult. What does that matter? So was the past difficult. Difficulties did not prevent its turning into a tolerable present. End quote. And as we ruminate on our own futures, I thought I'd end with this poem that someone in the comments shared. It's by Mary A. Ford and is called A Hundred Years From Now. O mighty human brotherhood, why fiercely war and strive, while God's great world has ample space for everything alive. Broad fields uncultured and unclaimed are waiting for the plow of progress that shall make them bloom a hundred years from now. Why should we try so earnestly in life's short, narrow span, on golden stairs to climb so high above our brother man? Why blindly at an earthly shrine and slavish homage bow? Our gold will rust, ourselves be dust, a hundred years from now. Why prize so much the world's applause? Why dread so much its blame? A fleeting echo is its voice of censure or of fame. The praise that thrills the heart, the scorn that dies with shame, the brow, will be long-forgotten dream a hundred years from now. O patient hearts that meekly bear your weary load of wrong, O earnest hearts that bravely dare and striving grow more strong, press on till perfect peace is won, you'll never dream of how you struggled o'er life's thorny road a hundred years from now. Grand lofty souls who live and toil that freedom, right, and truth alone may rule the universe, for you is endless youth. When mid the blessed with God you rest, the grateful land shall bow above your clay in reverent love a hundred years from now. Setting out to prove that old feminist adage wrong, scientists in Israel have trained goldfish to drive, not a bicycle, but a full-blown land-based motion-operated vehicle. Alright, so they weren't actually trying to disprove whether a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, but what they were trying to show was how a species might cope and develop navigational skills when dropped into the environment of another species, according to their paper published in an upcoming volume of the journal Behavioral Brain Research. Quoting Gizmodo, for the experiment, the team designed and built a fish-operated vehicle, or FOV for short because we now apparently need an acronym to describe such things. The goldfish car consists of a water tank, four motorized wheels, a computer, a camera to track movement, and LIDAR to identify the vehicle's location. When driving at full tilt, the fish moved at a humble .93 miles per hour. The vehicle was designed to detect the fish's position in the water tank and react by activating the wheels such that the vehicle moved in the specific direction according to the fish's position, according to the study. In this way, the vehicle's reaction to the fish's position allowed the fish to drive the vehicle in the environment. So if a fish was swimming near the wall of the water tank while facing outward, the FOV moved in that direction. But if the fish faced inward, the FOV stopped moving. End quote. And from Ars Technica, 
quote, The fish did indeed learn to drive the FOV, becoming more proficient in its operation over time, both in terms of achieving tasks, navigating to a target, and in the time taken to complete that task. The authors wanted to check that the fish weren't just memorizing a set of movements to earn a reward, so they repeated some tests with a new starting position inside the enclosure or added decoy targets that were a different color. Not only were the goldfish able to cope with those changes, but they were also able to approach targets from different angles, suggesting that the animals have an internal representation of the world around them. And that's despite the fact that the interface between the air, the tank's plexiglass walls, and the water would create non-linear refractions that presumably look quite different in fish vision than the environment in which those fish eyes evolved." End quote. And quoting Vice, the team's paper underscores not only that fish can drive, but that fish can drive on land, an ecosystem they're not evolved to be able to understand or move through fluently. The findings contribute to a broader scientific arena the researchers call domain transfer methodology, or the study of how one animal species navigates the environment of a different one. Goldfish navigate land very well, it turns out. This means mammals and birds might be equipped to navigate unfamiliar environments too, the authors speculate. All three share similar brain formations in the region of the hippocampus, the lobe controlling learning and memory, that operates navigation. But navigation is complicated and can vary between species and environments. How an animal views the space it's operating within likely varies between species and spaces, the paper notes. End quote. And I should note that studies have been conducted previously showing that rats and dogs can also drive vehicles, but those weren't about studying domain transfer methodology. The rat one was actually about environmental stress. Apparently, driving calms rats down. Wild. Anyways, Gizmodo points out that the use of the word drive is still very generous here, and the scientists have said that future experiments might require more complicated movements and activities from the fish in order to move the vehicle, which would be a stronger indication that the fish really are adapting their navigational skills. Still no word on how well fish ride bicycles, though, but I'll be looking out for an updated Guinness ad showing that a woman needs a man like a goldfish needs a fish-operated vehicle. The new year means new legislation all around the world, and this one from France caught my eye. Car advertisements in 2022 will have to include messages encouraging people not to drive cars. Quoting NPR, the country is trying to cut down on its carbon emissions, and the new rules beginning in March will force automakers to incorporate language similar to the warnings in ads for other products. Decarbonizing transport is not just switching to an electric motor, Barbara Pompili, France's ecological transition minister, said in a tweet translated from French. It also means using, when possible, public transport or cycling, she said. The messages will be required for automotive ads in any medium, including TV commercials. Advertisers who fail to comply with the new law face a 50,000 euro fine or about $56,000, the local France reported. End quote. So the advertisements will be required to include messages like consider carpooling or for short trips opt for walking or cycling. And according to France 24, we'll also have to include the hashtag se déplacer moins pollués or move and pollute less. This reminds me a bit of the kinds of warnings you see on tobacco products that here in the U.S. include Surgeon General's warnings about emphysema and cancer, and over in Europe have graphic images of the effects of smoking-induced diseases on the body. 
Although I guess a more one-to-one comparison would be the drink-responsibly language and gambling warnings in TV commercials. Gizmodo had a good point about these ads, which also underscores why the U.S. couldn't in good faith require similar warnings on our car commercials, especially in vast swaths of non-urban America. Quote, Reminding the public to pursue modes of travel that don't involve personal gas-powered vehicles is great, but it can't all be on individuals to make that transition happen. France, or any other country for that matter, also needs to make no-carbon means of getting around accessible for all. The country banned short-haul flights where rail options are available last year, which, good. But it was also just a few years ago that France faced a revolt over a gas tax that would have screwed rural folks who lacked the infrastructure to get around outside of their own vehicles. Telling people to hop on a bike is a great first step. Ensuring everyone can do that has to be the next one. End quote. Scientists at the Royal Botanic Gardens in London have named a newly identified tree after Leonardo DiCaprio. Now, while I wouldn't blame them one bit if they just happened to have been teenagers in the early 90s and maybe thought that the tree's flowers had a passing resemblance to the then-heartthrob's enviously swoopy hair, the justification that the scientists are giving publicly is that DiCaprio was apparently crucial in helping to stop the logging of the Ebo Forest in Cameroon, which is the only place in the world where this tree grows. The Uvariopsis DiCaprio is a small tropical evergreen with yellow flowers dotting its trunk. It's critically endangered and faces the same fate as every other plant and animal species in the Ebo Forest if the government goes back to its original plan of opening the forest up for logging, a plan they initially revoked after public outcry, bolstered by social media posts by DiCaprio the Human, but Dr. Martin Cheek of the Royal Botanical Gardens says the government's reversal could just be a, quote, stay of execution, end quote. And all jokes aside, naming the tree after DiCaprio was probably another attempt to garner publicity for the cause, and I can't fault them for that one bit. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.